From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long truck, long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your PC spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A special how-do to all of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. The podcast, of course, TalkZone.com. Those of you who take the show with you on your mobile device and the uh, with the uh, Conspiracy Show app, free download, by the by. Those of you who watch this radio program on the YouTube live stream. And uh, those loyal fans of the show who reside in the live YouTube chat room every week. However, and wherever you're listening and watching, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. U.S. President Donald Trump released over 2,800 records Thursday night. Well, I should say the U.S., uh, the National Archives did, um, in an effort to comply with uh, a 1992 law mandating the document's release. Um, But roughly 300 files classified out of concern for U.S. national security, law enforcement, and foreign relations were held back in a memo uh, Trump directed agencies that requested redactions to review their reasons for keeping the record secret within 100 days. And uh, we are about to pour over some of these uh, documents over the next hour. And um, some interesting things uh, have come forward so far. Uh, here, here is a number of them from the newest release of JFK Files. Former CIA director LBJ thought Kennedy assassination... The, the Kennedy assassination was payback for the assassination of, of the uh, Vietnam president, president of South Vietnam. The CIA considered using the mafia to kill Castro. And a memo from Hoover details Soviets' shock and consternation after Kennedy's death. And the FBI received an Oswald death threat the day before his murder. Also, Kennedy considered creating a bounty system that valued Castro at two cents. Uh, some other interesting things as well, and we'll uh, we'll get to that in a moment with James D. Eugenio, but later or earlier today, actually, Alex Jones um, was reporting, and you may have seen this as well, that one of the documents released came from the uh, U.S. Surgeon General and the CIA confirming that Kennedy was shot in the from the front, the side, and the back. All right, so to discuss and pour over these uh, documents, we welcome back to the program uh, the author of Destiny Betrayed, James D. Eugenio, and uh, also um, that was published in 1992. There's a a second greatly revised edition that was um, published in 2012. He's also the author of Reclaiming Parkland, which was published in 2013, reissued in expanded form in 2016. He's also the co-author and editor of The Assassinations, Probe magazine on JFK, MLK, RFK, and Malcolm X. He co-edited Probe from 1993 to 2000, was a guest commentator on the anniversary issue of the film JFK, and which was uh, released by Warner Brothers back in 2013. He also has an MA in Contemporary American History from California State University Northridge and uh, is a specialist in the history and theory of cinema. He's written numerous film reviews. He's a frequent contributor at Robert Perry's Consortium News. He's appeared on as a guest on uh, numerous talk shows, including this one, and of course uh, with me on Coast to Coast AM as well. Uh, he's recently retired after 30 years as a professional educator, and uh, we should point out the website. It's a good one, kennedysandking.com. Jim D. Eugenio, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? 
Good good evening, good evening, Richard. So um, you know, you know something. I I I I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the things you said in the in the intro because you're the first show that is going to get what's really going on with these documents, and it's really really bizarre, and the mainstream media is completely inadequate, you know, to handle this. Um, there's about maybe 15 people in all of America who actually know what's going on with this thing. And I happen to have a friend in New Mexico, a guy named Gary Majewski, who's actually downloaded all this stuff, okay? And, and we've actually gone over a lot of it, all right? And when they say that Trump released something like 2,800 new documents have been formally withheld. Uh, that's that's not the case. It doesn't look like that's the case at all. It, it and, and I'm going to say something else. A lot of these documents that were released on Thursday evening, they still have redactions in them. Do I have to explain what that is? Do you, does your audience know what they that do. means? They do. They do. Yes. Okay. All and, right. They still have redactions in them, which is shocking. All right. Because I mean, after 54 years, what on earth do you have to redact anymore? Precisely. You know? Precisely. Okay. It, 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 it's a really strange thing that's going on. And uh, I'm going to do an article about this for Bob Perry because I have to do some research on it. I have to consult with a few other people. But even in spite of that, even in spite of that, you know, but I, I feel like, you know, your show has to get the scoop on that first. I appreciate okay? that. Okay. All right. Um, even in spite of that, the, the stuff that's been reported, you know, on the mainstream media, uh, is not really, a lot of it isn't new. Okay. <laughs> a lot of it isn't new. A lot of it is just a part of, uh, you know, of an unfolding, uh, that, a document that had been released before, but, but is now being released in a cut-down form, okay, like the thing about Richard Helms uh, being asked about the CIA, Oswald and the CIA, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they played that up to the hilt, uh, you know, what's his name, Wolf Blitzer actually did a segment on that. On oh, the, the idea that the F, that, that the, it was Oswald's connections to the FBI was, were investigated. No, no, to, to, to the CIA. Oh, to the CIA, as, and there were no if, connections. As right. if Richard Helms was going to say, yeah, he was a CIA agent mm. the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, of, of course not. He, and that, that document was released several years ago, and he did, den- he of course denied that he was, a, that Oswald was a CIA contact. Alright? But, the, but, but let, let me get into some of this stuff that the mainstream media, uh, ha- has ignored. Before you, which I think- before you do that, Jim, can I ask you about this one? Because to me, uh, I mean, this is, this is potentially huge. If, uh, I want to ask you about, a report on Alex Jones uh, earlier today in, in which he s- held up a document uh, from the Surgeon General of the United States at the time and the CIA, and, and it says in the document that they are confirming that Kennedy was shot from the front and the side. What do you make of that? I, 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 I read that document. I don't read it that way at all. Ah. That's, that's a, 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 an FBI notice of a speech that some Cuban exile made something like two or three months after the assassination. And they're quoting him, 
The only people who had access to Kennedy's body was not the Surgeon General. It was the three autopsy doctors there in Bethesda right. that night. Right. Okay, so I don't know how, how, where he got this, that somehow the Surgeon General <laughs> would have access to Kennedy's body. So, you know, I, I, think, I think that's a misreading of the document. All right. But, of course, All we right. already know he was shot from the front and the side and the back. Well, yeah, so. there's a lot of different other reasons why you can say that, right. which, are, you know, which are a lot more reliable. Okay. Okay. So, so can I get into some, yes, some of the actual documents actually do say? Yes. All right. Okay. Now, uh, he, there's one that was re- – This the, or, the origin of this document is November the 23rd, 1963. All right. And it's, it's from Richard Helms. Okay. It's to the FBI. Now, rem- now to understand why this is important – I have to do something that you'll never see those idiots on the mainstream media doing. I have to explain a little bit in advance of what the story, the official story is, and then what this document says. All right. The official story put forth by David Phillips, and I I don't have to explain who he is, right? Uh, Phillips was... um, David Phillips was, was stationed in Mexico City. At the time, Oswald was supposed to have been there. Okay. All right. And he also ran the CIA's Anti-Fair Play for Cuba Committee. He's long been a suspect in the JFK case because he was seen meeting with Oswald. Right. He, he may have been his handler. Didn't he escort him to those radio interviews? No, 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 no. No? no? Phillips met him at the Southland building in uh, in Dallas in the first week of September. Okay. All right. He was seen. Okay. Now – David Phillips had always said that there are no tapes of Oswald because they were destroyed seven or eight days after Oswald was there. And Oswald left October the 1st. Now, this document, November the 23rd, by Helms, said that they did voice comparisons on the tapes, and it's Oswald in Mexico City. Hmm. Now... <laughs> Talk about not being able to get your story straight. Right, the tape that was destroyed. He heard the tape that apparently right. was destroyed. The tape that was destroyed back then in October, okay, are now being used for voice comparisons, okay, in November. So who's lying here? All right, and this is see, and this see, when I read something like this, it gets me so furious. Because it shows you there was never an investigation of the Kennedy assassination. Because if they would have had all the documents, any real lawyer or investigator, you know, would have would have tried desperately to get to the bottom of this. Now, who's lying here? Is Helms lying here in November the twenty third, or is Phillips lying about what happened on October the first? All right. And if if somebody's lying, then the obvious question a real investigator asks: Why are they lying? Well, aren't they you know? both lying? Because uh, I mean, I, 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 he wasn't in Oswald wasn't in Mexico City, was he? Well, that's that's what I tend to believe. Yeah, you know, that's what I tend to believe. Yeah. All right. Now, another interesting document is an interview by Drew Pearson, who was a very famous newspaper columnist back at that time, and he's traveling in Europe, and he meets up with Nikita Khrushchev, and they talk about. The Kennedy assassination. And Pearson is trying to push the Warren report on, on Khrushchev. And Khrushchev does not buy it for five seconds. 
He thinks it's all a bunch of baloney. Okay. And Pearson is trying to argue with him. Okay. No, he goes, no, no. And by the way, there's other documents that show at the, the whole top level of the Soviet government, from the KGB to the Politburo, none of them, none of them believe the Warren report. Okay. And so we, so we put that together. Let's name some other people. Charles de Gaulle never believed the Warren Report. Castro never believed the Warren Report. LBJ didn't believe the Warren Report. Bobby Kennedy never. I mean, how many people do you have to read off? All right, I got to take a timeout, Jim. Hold on, we'll come back. We'll delve further into the JFK files with James D. Eugenio. Stay with us. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. James D. Eugenio is with us, the author of Destiny Betrayed, which is about the uh, the garrison investigation of the Kennedy assassination. Uh, and we are talking about the uh, the release of the JFK files. Uh, you were mentioning uh, Drew Pearson, who was one of the nation's leading syndicated columnists at the time. And he this guy was a Washington insider. He He sort of bought into the... The official version of the Kennedy assassination, and he's tr- he meets up with Nikita Khrushchev, I think, in May of '64. He's trying to convince Khrushchev that, it, that the, the assassination went down the way we're told it did. Khrushchev didn't buy it. Castro didn't buy it. Uh, and it's interesting. A, a few years later, it was I de, think de, de Gaulle yeah. didn't buy it either. No. And then and then uh, and then uh, Pearson's uh, colleague um, uh, Atkinson it was a Jack At- uh, Jack Anderson. A few years later, he he blows the whole thing wide open and, and uncovers this plot that uh, the CIA hired Johnny Roselli to kill Castro back in '62, and they were and they were he was hired by Bobby Kennedy. Well, no, that turned out not to be true. Oh, is that right? Okay, that that part of the story ended up not to be true. Okay, right. it, it was deliberately kept from the Kennedys. Ah, okay. all right, but they did they did right. hire Roselli to kill Castro. The CIA yeah, did. Yeah, the CIA did. Did recruit Roselli, Giancana, okay, and Traficante. And by the way, the media is talking about like that's a new story too. You know, that story's been out there for my God, decades. You know, all right. Oh, but but that directly relates to my next the doc next time I was going to talk about. Yeah, this one is from March the tenth, nineteen seventy five. Okay, it's from Gerald Ford, who's now president. Uh, to his assistant Phil Buchan, and at this period, this time period, is when all this stuff is starting to come out. Okay, in the wake of Watergate and the Church Committee, you know about the crimes of the CIA and the FBI, and one of them is what we just mentioned: the CIA mafia plots to kill Kennedy. Right, and when this is all coming out, um, Ford writes this memo to Phil Buchan. He says, the first matter relates to the Warren Commission. You'll recall that Bill Colby mentioned to me, and by the way, he was a CIA director in 75, mentioned to me certain assassination attempts sponsored by the agency on Castro. As I recall, this conflicts with what I recall was some of the information furnished to the Warren Commission. The Warren Commission, as I remember, address the question to see what, if any, relationship there may have been to the attempts on Castro, which would cause retaliation 
against Kennedy. Now, this is this is a remarkable because I I'm, I'm not sure exactly how to take that because if if it reads the way that I think it's being uh, that I believe it says, then it, I think Ford is saying that the commission did hear about this stuff, but he can't recall it perfectly. Right, that's what it sounded like to me. Yeah, and so, but as everyone knows, the official story is that the Warren Commission didn't hear of these things, you know? So, again, this is something very, very startling when, when I read that, because the story has always been, you know, for 50 years, that the Warren Commission didn't have any inkling about those plots. But in this memo in 75, Ford is hinting that they did hear about them, hmm. you know, which is really, really weird. Okay, you know, uh, it's really bizarre. It's a real twist on history, if it's true. Now, here's another one, and and again, I, before I read this, I have. There has been no more firm supporter of the official story. Okay, that Oswald killed Kennedy, Ruby killed Oswald, and there was no conspiracy. Than the New York Times, all right. Really, I mean, even now, you know, the New York Times is, you know, because when this story is all over the place right now, you know. Uh, but even now, the New York Times, you know, is is trotting out, you know, their their hacks, you know, that the, the Oswald. Okay, now, this is a document, February the first, nineteen sixty-seven. All right, from William Brannigan who was one of the chief investigators at the CIA, at, excuse me, FBI headquarters. All right. By letter dated January 23rd, 1967, the Central Intelligence Agency informed the Bureau that it had received a report from one of its sources that the New York Times is working on a special project involving a full-scale expose of the Warren Report. According to the CIA source, the project will find that the Warren Commission original findings were not reliable. Hmm. Now, when I read that, you could have knocked me over with a feather. Okay. <laughs> that the, the New York Times was going to launch a full-scale expose of the Warren Commission? You know, nobody, nobody's ever heard of that one before. No, and it didn't happen, right? obviously. Now, now, yeah, okay, but now that's the right question, Richard. That's the right question. The right question is, well, if they were going to do this full-scale expose of the Warren Commission, what happened? Right. Well, I'll tell you what happened. Once the CIA got that information from their informant, they called up Alan Dulles, and Alan Dulles was a very close friend of the Salzberger family, which owns the New York Times at that time, and so I think they still do. And that's what happened to that expose. I'll bet you, you know, ten dollars to one that that is what happened to that expose. He's he squelched it. All right, all right. Now, here's here's another one which I had never seen before. I think, although this is, I think this is an FBI report or a telex. All right, Robert Kermit Patterson. Contacted Dallas today. He had info about the information about President Kennedy. 
Patterson said that he and the friend of his, Donald's, I think it's Donald Stewart, operated the contract electronics store on Elm in Dallas. A, a couple of weeks ago, which would have been the beginning of November, Jack Ruby and the subject visited the contact contract electronics and wanted on and wanted on this occasion Ruby told Oswald to write the names of of Patterson and Stewart in the carousel guest book all right Ruby told <laughs> Oswald to write so in other words Ruby and Oswald were together right right I mean we've okay. we've long suspected that but this would tend to support that obviously requested Mike work at the carousel and were paid by the employees. All right? Now, here now, let me let me say this. I've been doing this for pretty much either full time or half time for about the last twenty seven years. I had never even heard of this document before. That's huge. It, it draws a connection between I, Ro- Ruby and Oswald. Nobody's reporting on that. That's huge, Jim. Yeah. I've, ne- I've never even heard of this before. Okay? And here, 54 years later, <laughs> okay, here it comes. You know? And, and, and the thing is, how, you know, what, where was the follow-up on this? Because I, I, it's an orphan document. I, I don't see anything that's related to it. You know, but it's a bombshell document. I'll say. And it's being totally, no one's, it's being totally ignored. Right, right. Nobody's ever seen it before. Now, why isn't the mainstream media, why isn't Wolf Blitzer reading that document, you know, on TV? Exactly. That's really new. All right. All right. Now, here's another one that goes to what I see as one of the big problems we have with this case which is the media, all right? All right, this is an FBI document, all right? And it says that NBC was preparing a documentary to be televised as soon as the Bureau's report on the assassination is made public. Advised by NBC's policy will be the tele... NBC's policy will be televised only those items which are in consonance with the Bureau report. Holy smokes. Isn't that terrible? I mean, that, that, that is really terrible. Yeah, it just shows you nothing has changed. It was that <laughs> – it, we think that what's been going on the last uh, you know presidential election cycle – uh, where, you know, the, the mainstream media was in the tank for one side, uh, it was always thus, it would appear, Jim. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so now we got it in their own words. You know, so it's, it's always nice when you get the, you know, unfortunately, it's 54 right. years later. Yeah, okay. yeah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna air anything, uh, that doesn't jive with the, the official FBI version of events. Yeah, right. that's that's uh, very revealing. Can I ask you something very quickly? Uh, we're heading into a break here. You mentioned Brannigan, the FBI agent, uh, a, a little while right. ago, and uh, I mean, th- this is uh, this was a guy that um, you know his investigation led to the convictions of Ethel and Julius Rosenberg. Uh, so he was he was a, a top notch investigator. Brannigan was, uh, but right. but there's also something in the in this latest release um, where. 
um, Brannigan, this was a memo from Brannigan, uh, and it was information being passed along uh, that uh, Lyndon Johnson was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Is that, oh, really? I, I didn't hear that one. Yeah, this is a... Um, this is uh, part of this release, and it says that, that uh, it says here. Uh, let me see where am I quoting from. I'm not sure if this is uh, this is part of a CNN uh, report. I think uh, I, I've just pasted it under my email. I'll have to go back and find it. But it says in the memo below, Brannigan is passing on information to William C. Sullivan, who at the time was the head of the FBI's domestic intelligence division. The information passed along counts more as rumor than anything else, though perhaps with an added flavor of credibility, given that the source claiming then-President Lyndon Baines Johnson, who ascended to the White House after Kennedy assassination, was a member of the Ku Klux Klan, might well have been in a position to know. So, uh, I mean, what do you make of that? Johnson, a Klansman. I've, I've never heard that before. I've never heard that before. I've, I've read several biographies of Johnson, but I've never run across that information before. All right, I'll um, I'll send you that uh, that story, and you can right. have a look at that. All right. So as we head into a break, um, just sit tight, Jim. We'll come back and uh, we'll go over some more uh, classified documents recently released. And uh, James D. Eugenio is just the man to do it. Stay with us. do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Just a heads up, next meet, next week on the uh, transmission, The Man Who Killed the Cure. Uh, playwright Luke Yankee will be with us to talk about uh, the murder of uh, Dr. Max Gershon, who uh, reportedly had a cure for cancer. And uh, he's... Um, this is, uh, I guess, in, in play form. I don't know if this is going to uh, see the light of day on Broadway, maybe off-Broadway, but uh, it's it's all about uh, the great Max, Dr. Max Gershon, the man who killed the cure. Luke Yankee will be with us. Right now, James D. Eugenio stays with us. We're talking about the uh, JFK uh, assassination collection uh, that has been released, and we were talking about... Uh, I just sent you a PDF of that file uh, about LBJ being a member of the Klan. Oh, thank you. And, uh, I'll, I'll check that out. Let me just read it here because it, it, it also brings up the connection between uh, Oswald and Ruby. Um, and this is coming again from Brannigan to Sullivan at the FBI. References made to an article on the investigation of the assassination of President Kennedy. Uh, and this is uh, dated April of 64. Um, so references made in the March 15, 64 issue of The Counselor, which is uh, um, published by the Citizens Council of, of, of Louisiana, for America's everywhere, Americans everywhere. The article was a dateline of New Orleans claims that the counselor was in New Orleans to make a fresh search into the assassination matter at the request of the Dallas District Attorney's Office. In addition, the article claims the Dallas District Attorney's Office enlisted the counselor to check reports that Oswald and Rubenstein, apparently Jack Ruby, convicted killer of Oswald, were connected in employment matters. 
then it goes on to say, Ned Touchstone, editor of The Counselor, has been identified by a confidential informant as a member of the original Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. The source advised in December 63 that Touchstone claimed the Klan had documented proof President Johnson was formerly a member of the Klan in Texas during the early days of his political career. Uh, so there's kind of a two-four in this document. You've got uh, claims that they were investigating the um, con- uh, the um, relationship between Ruby and Oswald and, and on employment matters, and then also Johnson being in the Klan. Anyway, I've sent that to you, so you have a look at that. So what's uh, the, the next document you want to refer to, Jim? All right. You mentioned earlier uh, about Oswald, whether he was or whether he was not in Mexico City, which is a very serious and a very puzzling question. All right. To me, what these new documents lean to is that he wasn't. Let me read you. This one is uh, from Mexico City all right, to CIA headquarters. Now, let me explain again why this is important. Yeah, why is it important whether or not Oswald was in Mexico City? No, no, no. I, I, w- I want to explain the information first. Okay, okay right. Why that's important. The CIA had two informants in the Cuban embassy. All right? They were codenamed Litamil 7 and Litamil 9. Now, this report, I think, because the, the date and the, uh, the time stamp is blurred, but I think it says November the 28th. It might say the 26th. All right? Okay. The last paragraph says, all right, neither Litamil 7 nor Litamil 9 had any personal knowledge that Oswald was ever present in the Cuban embassy. <laughs> well, <laughs> if anyone were... <laughs> now, <laughs> All right. Now, 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 why is that important? Because he was supposed to have been at the Cuban embassy three times. Right, right. So the idea that both of them could have missed him all three visits or that nobody talked about him you know, or anything like that. And supposedly someone had him on tape. Well, except we know that wasn't his no. voice. Okay. All right. So when I read that, I go, oh, my God, this story is becoming so far-fetched, you know, and so unbelievable. You have to believe so many weird things to believe Oswald was there. Just you know, explain. And now you have two eyewitnesses who said he wasn't there. Right, and and you know? they were embedded in the Cuban embassy for that expressed purpose, obviously, to know stuff like that. Right, right. Explain very okay. briefly, Jim, as we head into another break, this was a short segment, why was it important uh, for the narrative that, that uh, Oswald was in Mexico City? Because that was used, it was actually grabbed upon by the Warren Commission as to show that Oswald was really a communist, all right? And that further, that this is why he was so determined to kill Kennedy, all right? Okay, because, you know, he's actually visiting down there. He wants to escape to Cuba, and then he's visiting with the, the guy who's head of assassinations in the Soviet embassy. So that's why it was so important. Right. And now it appears right. he was never there. Now, we never saw the guy. Exactly. All right. These are, see, this is why I have you on, Jim. These are little details. They're not little, but they're sort of buried in there, and you're able to connect the dots, and these are important matters. 
So, again, these documents tend to suggest Oswald wasn't in Mexico City. We have documents that tend to suggest Oswald knew Ruby before the assassination. This is important stuff. All right, back in a moment. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. James D. Eugenio stays with us. The website, kennedysandking.com. And uh, he, the author of uh, Destiny Betrayed. We are uh, talking, of course, about the uh, JFK files released this week. I wanted to ask you uh, about this one. Uh, this has to do with a, a local newspaper in Britain uh, called Cambridge News, which re- uh, received an anonymous tip about 25 minutes before Kennedy was shot in Dallas. Uh, and the uh, copy of the memo, again, released by the National Archives, and it had gone um, unreported. Now, I think this was actually released back in July, um, and then it was released again in the latest batch of documents. But uh, according to the document, the deputy director of the FBI, James Angleton, sent to the director, J. Edgar Hoover, said the British Security Service, MI5, had reported that the call was remade, that was that the call was made to the senior reporter of the uh, Cambridge News. The caller said only uh, that the Cambridge News reporter should call the American embassy in London for some big news and then hung up. And after word of the president's death was received, the reporter informed the Cambridge police of the anonymous call and the police informed MI5. Wow, that's uh, pretty interesting. What do you make of that, Jim? Well, there's actually more to that story um, because... Uh, there was a gentleman named Albert Osborne who was in Europe at that time. His hometown was Grisby, all right, and um, he had he still had family there, although he had gone to Canada and then the United States. And I'm not sure if you know this, but Albert Osborne was allegedly on a bus with Oswald going down to Mexico City. Aha, uh-huh. I right? didn't know that. And there's a 90-page report on Osborne uh, that was part of the Warren Commission documents. And most people who study him, including people like me, and we have an article on our website okay, uh, about him by another author, all right, seem to think he was some kind of CIA agent. Hmm. So... If, that would seem to me pretty logical assumption that that might have been Osborne on that phone call. Ah, interesting. Right? And why would he? That is why would really he t- interesting, isn't it? Why would he tip them off? That is really interesting, isn't it? It is. Uh, why would he tip okay. them off? Why would he tip them off? Well, that's that a way? hell of a good. That's a hell of a good question. But remember, it was anonymous. It was an anonymous call, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, so he wasn't giving away his identity. Okay, you know. He was just he was just telling them, you know, twenty five minutes there's gonna be something big at the American embassy. You know, very interesting. To say you know, the and least. By, you know, and the fact that, you know, they, they never got to the bottom of that. I mean that's really bizarre <laughs> that they never got to the bottom of that. You know? But that's the way, you know, this whole case is. Nobody ever got to the bottom of anything. No. You know? And a lot of loose threads just left there. Yeah. What right, else jumps now, out? What um, else jumps out at you? One of the things, one of the things that when you go through these documents, you'll see, is that almost from the beginning, almost from the beginning, 
that the FBI had had coverage on all the critics almost everywhere. The CIA had coverage on the critics in Europe, like Joachim Justine and um, Thomas Buchanan. All right, and one of the targets was Mark Lane. All right, well, something I didn't know until I read this document today. All right. I always wondered why they concentrated so much on Lane. February 26, 1964, the Warren Commission has been set up for probably less than two months. Howard Willens, who's a very important member of the commission, all right, meets with the FBI, a guy named O'Malley. O'Malley says to Willens that he had heard from J. Lee Rankin, the chief counsel, that, and I want to say this carefully because I want everybody to understand what this means. The Warren Commission wanted wall-to-wall coverage on Mark Lane. All right? And he said that because of that suggestion, he was going to go ahead and write a letter to Rankin, okay, being more specific about what exactly that he wanted. Before they arranged it. Isn't that sickening? Mm, I'll say. I mean, that is really sickening, isn't it? It is. It I, is. Oh, my God. Now, now, you want to hear something? That, this gets coupled with this, all right? Tommy Boggs, who was the son of Hale Boggs, mm-hmm. all right, um, who, and this one is 1975 when the church committee is beginning. Hale Boggs, the, who was on the Warren Commission, who disappeared yeah, afterwards. Yes, Warren Commissioners, yes, mm-hmm. all right? All right, he's he's telling. I think this is an FBI document. All right, he's telling the FBI that his father showed him dossiers the FBI compiled on critics of the Warren Commission in an attempt to discredit them. Uh, he said, "Quote: They weren't basically sex files. They had some of that element." But most of the material dealt with left-wing organizations. So this, you know, going all the way back to 1964, this has been a very conscious effort on the part of the FBI. And now we know the Warren Commission to discredit the critics of the of, of the official story. Right, and that's it, where that's, the term conspiracy theory came from. Was the uh, was right. was uh, right. as you know to design to discredit that, that came from a CIA memo right. a couple years later, 1967. Okay, now, here's another one. Oris Pena was a Cuban FBI informant down in New Orleans who owned a bar called the Havana Bar. He was being interviewed in 1975 by the church committee. Okay, and he's telling them that he often saw Oswald with... FBI agent Warren DeBreeze outside the Customs House building, hmm. right? And m- many, many times they were talking, and he came to the conclusion that they knew each other very well. He says DeBreeze threatened him not to reveal this stuff on his initial testimony before the Warren Commission, all right? So 
there's another witness that says Oswald, you know, was was not what he was supposed to be. He was actually some kind of you know FBI informant on the one part. So he was meeting with an FBI uh, with Debris, and and also, of course, we know about um, you know supposedly meeting with uh, Guy Bannister. Right, right. Um, by, by the way, there's a very interesting document on that also. Is that the INS, the Immigration and Naturalization Service, actually followed Oswald because they were looking for David Ferry. All right, because Ferry was associated with all these Cuban exiles. Many of them were in the country illegally. As they followed Ferry around, they saw Oswald going into Guy Bannister's office. There you go. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it doesn't get very much better than that, does it? Okay. <laughs> you know, no, well, it really, it doesn't, you know. So, um, now, there's one more thing, all right, that I wanted to talk about that. One of the still redacted documents, all right, um, is about the CIA investigation of a Bell Chase naval station that was one of the training grounds for the Cuban exiles, all right, um, and I think uh, this was in February of 1961. That document, like I let off the show with, is very sadly – it's redacted in several places. I find that very interesting because we know that the guy who's in charge of sterilizing that training ground, that means after the Bay of Pigs, making sure nobody clearing out all the equipment and everything, right. making sure there were no traces. The guy who was in charge of that was David Phillips. Uh-huh. And you want to hear something else? Ferry was there. So I would love to see that document with no redactions, okay? Right, right. Because I got a funny feeling that's the reason it's redacted. Okay. Have you been through yeah. all of the documents at this point? Uh, not all of them. No. So no, no doubt yeah. that you will find... A large part of them, yeah. You, but no doubt you will find some, some more jewels... Uh, while the yeah. rest of the mainstream media is sort of proclaiming that this is a big yawn, that there's nothing in there, you're you're digging out these these wonderful little gems uh, again that tend to suggest Oswald was not in Mexico City uh, and therefore was not plotting his escape to Cuba, uh, and that Ruby um, and Oswald had some sort of an employment uh, agreement at some point. Uh, yeah, and that LBJ, well, uh, was a Klansman. Well, wait, 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 let me expand on that employment thing. What okay. I think they're talking about there is a previous document that came out years ago was that Oswald used Ruby as an employment reference looking for a job in New Orleans. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> word. Well, you know, Richard, when you don't know you're being set up for the assassination, exactly. you do dumb things like that. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yes, unbelievable. Uh, what about the remaining? Was it how many? How many uh, are supposed to be released within the next 180 days that were held back? Well, uh, according to Trump, who, you know we have government by tweet down here. Okay, he says that there are about 300 still left. Right now, you know what's so interesting about that is because those are files on E. Howard Hunt, David Phillips. William Harvey, and James Angleton. Aha, there should be some juicy things in there. Right, and, and they're, they're, they're not just one or two pagers. 
Those are like you're talking this the shortest one is a hundred pages. How do you know this? How do you know this? When the National Archives, when Martha Murray, Murphy, who's in charge of this project, mm-hmm. when she began releasing the documents in July, she prepared a, a Excel spreadsheet. Oh, I see. Okay. Of what she had. All right. And she let that out. All right. And that's some of the information that's on there. So these 300 that are due within the next 180 days, according to Trump's right. memo, th- these could be the most important of all. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Fascinating. So, so there'll be you know pretty interesting stuff I think in there, you know. But they'll be heavily redacted, no doubt. Well, if if that's the case, then there, there's going to be uh, there's going to be a few days in court I because hope so. the law says there's not supposed to be any redactions at all. Okay, none. All right, there's no reason to have any redactions. Fifty four years later, it's outrageous. You know, they're they're, they're still doing this crap. Absolutely, Jim. Thank you so much. Yeah. I will speak to you in a few weeks on Coast to Coast. Okay. Good night, Richard. Thank you. James D. Eugenio, Destiny Betrayed, uh, the website kennedysandking.com. My thanks to Ian Robertson, Albert Vinzel, Ryan White, all of you for listening. Back next week with a brand new program, The Man Who Killed the Cure, a play about uh, Dr. Max Gershon, Luke Yankee, my guest. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.